Welcome to Digibarn Radio, fascinating stories from the history of computing. I'm Tommy Cuellar. Our next piece, the IBM PC at 25, including an interview with Marcin Wickery, was written by Digibarn curator Bruce Damer and read by Tommy Cuellar on August 10th, 2006. This was originally for a Polish computer magazine. First, a little background information from Bruce. The IBM PC, known inside IBM as the Model 5150, was launched on August 12, 1981, and represented IBM's entry into the microcomputer marketplace. The IBM PC was almost entirely built out of components made by companies other than IBM. IBM called this open architecture, and this was a great departure from its prior personal computer model, the 5120, built entirely by IBM in the late 1970s. The IBM PC came bundled with Microsoft's disk operating system, called PC-DOS in its IBM incarnation, and a number of software packages were ready to go for it on the day of launch, including Visicorp's VisiCalc. Don't forget to check out IBM's own special feature on the IBM PC's debut, including a whole reference section of historic materials on IBM's own website at www.ibm.com. The IBM PC changed the personal computing world, and its open architecture led to clones and an entire industry of third-party software and hardware vendors that put this platform on top as the dominant type of microcomputer by the 1990s. Other vendors fell by the wayside, or ended up surviving in niches as a result. Some commentary on the open versus closed approaches of IBM and Apple by Digibarn curator Bruce Damer may be found in the following interview. Also, don't forget to check out Eric Klein's movies of the IBM PC booting into PC-DOS 1.0 and running cool early applications on our website. And now, on with the interview. Marcin asked, What was unique about the IBM PC as compared to other machines of its time? And Bruce replied, while the IBM PC was not a particularly advanced machine in terms of architecture and performance, the following made it unique in comparison with other machines of the time that used equivalent or better parts. First, the power of the IBM name and marketing clout within the business community, especially in blue shops, typically large enterprises where the phrase, nobody ever got fired by going with IBM, held sway. Second, the reverse not invented here syndrome associated with the machine. Time pressures and antitrust concerns forced IBM to put together a machine, service, sales, and software that was pretty much from outside the company. To achieve this, they had to achieve a working consensus and tight coordination of outside teams pretty much unprecedented in the microcomputer industry. It all came together in Boca Raton, Florida, in under a year and in total secrecy. Also unprecedented in the early days of the industry. Third, while dull, the utility and solidity of the case for the CPU and monitor, the heft and ergonomics of the keyboard, 
and the generosity of the expansion slots made the IBM PC 5150 a true piece of office equipment. Sitting next to an IBM PC, an Apple II or any number of other systems looked and felt like a child's toy. This was a very important factor in the business world, taking the IBM PC seriously and set the trend for the beige 80s, when small computers became ubiquitous on desks around the world. Then Marcin said, what was the significance of the IBM PC? And Bruce answered, due to its open architecture, IBM's own term, the IBM PC created the unique path to the future that the industry needed, a de facto standard controlled by no one, which could be cloned by everyone. More on why this was so important in the next question. Marcin's next question, what would the world be like had IBM never launched the IBM PC? And Bruce's answer, my gosh, the world would be so completely different. Instead of personal computing hardware being a commodity built by a large number of largely anonymous suppliers and able to run a variety of operating systems, a luxury we enjoy today, the world would have been balkanized into factions of individual companies and groups that build distinct hardware and tied it closely with their own software offerings. This was a situation with the early microcomputer industry, but as the IBM PC and its clones caused mass extinction of proprietary software and hardware providers, the entire world adopted one platform, with Apple dropping its own hardware platform in 2005 and becoming another software vendor using an IBM PC clone, that completes the process of the PC being totally triumphant as a standard. Remaining proprietary Unix hardware and software vendors, such as Sun Microsystems and SGI, have declining market share and poor prospects. Indeed, without the open hardware standard of the IBM PC, it is hard to imagine that a vibrant open software movement, or even the widespread adoption of the internet and web, would have ever occurred. For a similar view of this, see CNET's Jim Kerstetter perspective, The Great PC What If. And then Marcin asked, Did IBM make the mistake of opening up the PC too much? And Bruce answered, we should remember that IBM did not set out to make the IBM PC open. It happened by virtue of necessity. And in 1987, IBM tried to close the architecture with the introduction of the microchannel PS2. In retrospect, IBM may have regretted the short-term losses brought on by the easy clonability of the early IBM PC line, but in the long run, it gained tremendously. It is hard to imagine IBM having such a large and vibrant global services division if it was not for the ubiquitous spread of a common personal computing hardware platform. And Marcin said, please tell us a bit about yourself and the Digibarn project. And so Bruce said that he was a general purpose polymath and founder of the Digibarn Computer Museum, a large collection of personal computing artifacts stored in his barn in the Redwood Forest near Silicon Valley in Northern California. By day, he directs 3D mission visualization projects for NASA and runs a small organic farm, bus art studio, and storytelling projects. And you can read more about Bruce at www.damer.com. That's www.damer.com. 
You've been listening to Digibarn Radio. This story is available for some uses under our Creative Commons license. Please check our website at www.digibarn.com. That's www.digibarn.com for this license and more great stuff from the Digibarn collections. This is Tommy Cuellar signing off. Thanks for tuning in.